Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. I've been working in the restaurant industry for almost 33 years now. And the one thing that all restaurants have in common is they've got some issues. We all have them. Some they know about a lot that they may not even know about. Um, but those issues are costing them customer satisfaction, sales, and profits. And and if you want to know what Ops Analytica does, we help you identify those recurring issues in your businesses. So we shed light on them with photos and comments and data, right? So you can figure out what they are. You can come up with a plan to solve them and you can make everybody a little bit happier. Your customers a little bit happier, your employees a little bit happier, and you can literally incrementally change your business by simply identifying issues and fixing them. So I, I invite you to go to opsanalytica.com, O-P-S-A-N-A-L-I-T-I-C-A.com. Check us out, get a demo, and you can see how we literally can help you change your business. Thank you. Hey there, Order Up Show podcast listeners. You are back for another episode with Tommy. Hey, woo. Today, my guest is... Thank you, James. Today, my guest is Chef James Corwell, who is what? A certified master chef. Give him a round of applause. That's me. Welcome, James. How are you, chef? Doing great, Tommy. Great to be here. Super excited. Love you, man. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, We have so many good chefing stories to talk about. Um, Okay, so, so do you want to be called Chef or James? Call me so James. Call me James. I'm, well, I'm I'm cool. a, I'm still a person. <laughs> Before I was that, <laughs> <laughs> though it may not seem like it. Before you hit your title, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. So, James, yeah. here's the deal, man. We ask the same five questions to everybody yep. in the industry, um, and uh, we just kind of go through and ask. The, you know, answer the questions and then we'll just have a riff for a little bit and then I'll bring it back to the next question. And that's, that is the podcast format. So we're going to get started uh, with the first question, sure. which is what do you do today and how did you get there from your first job in the industry? Oh my gosh. Um, let's see. What do I do today? I um, help run uh, um, a company called Ocean Hugger Foods that makes plant-based alternatives to raw seafood, uh, particular to the sushi industry. And um, uh, when I started this company back in 2015 in San Francisco, um, you know, I really felt that there was a need uh, to for a chef to jump into the plant-based space and do it in a way that it wasn't highly processed and looking like uh, uh, Impossible Burger or something like that and be clean labeled. So I developed a process in which I can keep the texture of any vegetable but wash out all of its flavor so that you have a neutral platform to carry other flavors um, that make it taste like fish. So yeah, that's been my current track. And so I'm I'm deep into R&D in the plant-based space and it has been an amazing ride 
and discovery all along the way. But, you know, I have to say, I started out back in like 1980 um, as a dishwasher. And, um, um, and I, you know, I, I'm the best darn dishwasher you ever saw. And I can bust some real suds. And, uh, but, you know, as a dishwasher, you always think the cooks have it made, right? And uh, that yeah. said, <laughs> you know, that said, um, what did I find out the hard way? Now, um, but I was good at it. Always been good with knives and not scared of heat and fire and that kind of thing. Um, love to eat, love to cook great food. Um, and um, yeah, so that started my track into kind of a formal education uh, into Northern European and American cooking. Um, turned out I was uh, good at it. And again, it fit me physically and uh, got into the, uh, doing uh, hot and cold food competitions. Um, and then later on, went to run my own uh, clubs and restaurants and things of that nature. And then went to go work uh, as an instructor at the Culinary Institute of America. And that's where I was uh, studied for the uh, certified master chef exam and later passed it uh, back when it was 10 days long. And then went on uh, out on my own and uh, later started Ocean Hugger Foods after having uh, a successful restaurant in New Orleans that was the best restaurant with the best chef, of course. And here we are today with just uh, uh, Ocean Hugger. You can find the products. Uh, well, it's renowned all over the world. We sell uh, all over the world. And um, yeah, I actually have some other exciting projects I'll tell you about a little later on. Cool. So, that, yeah. so okay, so dish. I love it. Everybody started <laughs> off that this is the greatest part of the restaurant industry is that nobody started off as the CEO of something. The, everybody is in the restaurant industry started <clears throat> off. Oh gosh, like I started off making subs. I've washed dishes, like you know, like right. The greatest part of our industry is that I don't care, and I say this all the time: is that if you're the CEO of McDonald's and you walk into a restaurant and there's a dirty table. You're going to yeah. grab a rag and go wipe it off and pick up trash out of the play place because that's oh, yeah. our business. There exactly. is, you know, the king of the world is still a busser, you know, because that's what exactly. Oh, um, yeah. So well I wanted to go to CIA. I tried to drop out of DU's hotel restaurant school, and my mom was like pleading with me. This is when I was in my, like, yeah, I was a kid. She's like, just get the damn degree and then you can go to chef school. Just, you're so close. <laughs> so she wouldn't let me go. Oh, um, well, but uh, go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, but I, uh, I, yeah, I, because I came up through kitchens, you know, yes, that's where yes. I was interested in most was being a chef for sure. Well, so. and, you know, I, I know I dropped the CIA name, but I didn't actually graduate either. And like you, you know, uh, being a, becoming a chef was really for thousands of years taught from mentor to mentee. And that's really where yep. I gained 95% of my knowledge. And I'm proud of that. Um, unfortunately, the industry has changed that chefs don't 
technically have the time anymore to train. And that's, that's what's given oxygen to so many of the culinary schools. But if you're going to go to a, a culinary school, CIA is likely the Harvard of them all. No, oh, absolutely. The yeah. campus is beautiful and you can get yeah. the, you know, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. They, uh, my, so one of the chefs I worked for, who was a early guest of the show, Keith Jones, uh-huh. and I worked for him at Club Corp of America back in the nineties sure. uh, when I was in school. And then I worked with him other times. He had come up, he was one of those guys that went, that had come up under a guy who became a certified master chef as well. Wow. out of Detroit, but he was like a kid out of the ghetto. And this guy was like, if you show up and give me your best, I'll teach you everything I know. And they worked together for 12 years, Amazing. right? And all these different restaurants around Detroit. And uh, and then what was amazing about Keith, and I think Keith is now the corporate chef for Honey Smoked Salmon. Um, uh, cool. Out of Colorado. They're, they're yeah. out of here. And uh, so they kind of compete, semi-competing or not really, but, you know, same industry, basically. Yeah. Uh, but he was such a great teacher, which is what the best chefs are. Like he took, he like enjoyed teaching you how to, for instance, I, he, I learned how to cold smoke salmon in the walk-in or make ganache. Right. You know, right. just it was a fancy formal dining club, right? So yeah, you're always yeah, making terrific. cool stuff. Terrific. Well, that's the thing about our industry um, uh, that drives change, especially now, is that when you look at the culinary world from a historical perspective, uh, it was all derived from uh, cooking for kings and queens and the aristocracy and uh, the wealthy, because those are the, the, the part of the society that could afford uh, not just the the animals and the fish and uh, the fresh produce, but the labor to, that it took to do all that. And it was really since the advent of the Industrial Revolution, uh, incidentally, America's greatest strength, um, that we were a- all able to kind of uh, begin eating like that. So, but now, now, and I won't go off too much on this, but now the pendulum is starting to swing back and. We see food prices uh, rising and natural resources becoming more and more precious all the time. Well, yeah, and you know, the one thing, the yeah, as you were saying with the aristocracy, yeah. yeah, they could have the labor, yeah, they could get the meat, but what most importantly, they could get the spices because the spices yeah. weren't local, right? Yeah, exactly. like the whole spice the trail point. through India into China and all of that. Like, yeah. like, yeah, sure. If you lived in Italy, you could get oregano and basil. Absolutely, you could. <clears throat> you couldn't get. Uh, you nutmeg, might not have been able to get peppercorns, or, maize, or you might not have been right, able to get cumin or nutmeg. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, it, and it was the same thing too with mm. books and paintings, because the paints weren't indigenous right. to all areas. Like, yeah. like, if you needed a purple, you needed blueberries or something smashed into the paint. Which if right. you didn't live in an area where you could grow blueberries, like northern Italy, probably right. can't grow blueberries. Right. Potentially. Uh, you know, you needed someone to haul that stuff from Africa or wherever it was coming from to uh, bring oh, it to your, your area. So great point. It, it all great comes point. full circle. And it also, does. if you really want to get into it, all of Star Wars is based on running spice. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's all spices. There's movie the spices around the galaxy. All right, we're gonna start talking Star That's right. Wars. Now. Han Solo was was a spice <laughs> smuggler. So uh, really want to get into it. Full well, circle just, here, people. I just got the first um, story of Boba Fett in comic books, so I'm super proud of that. <laughs> That's awesome. I <laughs> know uh, that uh, we we can talk Star Wars all day too. So uh, going back, so you you went. You worked in the industry. You had a great restaurant in New Orleans. By the way, uh, uh, Commander's Palace is one of my clients. And they have oh, wow. For a lot of years now. Yeah. Which is, total, which is another big place. New Orleans restaurant. The brands are, are just um, uh, a force, uber force there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's such a cool – I've never been, but I talked to him a bunch on the phone, and like I'm just like, oh, that's – Oh, you got to go. You got to go. Sure. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very blessed now because I've got restaurants clients around the world right right? and so like i get to so when i do travel i look on like i look in the database i'm like is anybody in this area that i can go and eat at uh just to say hi see what they're doing you know right Um, it's interesting i was just talking to a friend of mine from new orleans and we were talking about how rich the dining culture is there and one of one of the ways you can tell that is how people dress and put on a sports coat to go out to dinner um, and how, how rare that is anyway. Yeah. I mean, Colorado, I mean, Sonoma, you're in Sonoma, right? That's yeah. kind of the yeah. same deal. Like yeah. Sonoma is kind of like Colorado where if you're wearing jeans and cowboy boots, you're as dressed as you need to be. <laughs> yeah, you're dressed up, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I put cowboy boots on. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Different world. So Different world. Chef, School teacher, you had restaurants. So you had a little bit of everything. You got the academic side, you got the uh, real world side. Yeah. Now you're in the food manufacturing side, which is a whole other world of craziness. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not too bad for a guy so, that started out. So how much you want to talk about? I know. And like what? in different places too. Yeah, New Orleans, yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. California. Northern now. California. Yeah. Uh, let's. Let's talk about Ocean Hugger a little bit. So sure. you've developed a way to cook, uh, uh, I'm assuming, a mixture of vegetables sure. together and putting, and putting them into a food processor. And then you are using some sort of terrine or something to like get them going into a shape. Is that what you're doing? Or I, you know, how I, much I, do you I, want to talk about so, without so giving no, no, away no. your So there's generations. The, the, way we, the way we talk about these foods are... Um, 1.0, 2.0, Model A, Model T kind of thing, uh, or generational. First, so here's the thing that um, I, here's my elevator pitch to people looking at Ocean Hugger. Um, Ocean Hugger is a hundred year brand. And why do I say that? I say that because, um, you know, fish will run out long before. Uh, um, uh, tomatoes will, for instance. Uh, and so, um, you know, tuna is a wild animal. It's heavily overfished. Um, China really becoming the dominant uh, uh, resource consumer here in the next 10 years. Uh, if they start consuming tuna, um, uh, the, the wild stocks of tuna will essentially be uh, commercially extinct. So, you know, tuna is going to be challenged no matter what happens in the next hundred years. And it's hard for chefs to 
for one, think outside of the four walls of their kitchen, much less think about what's going on in other parts of the world. But, you know, it, it really, if you can give yourself the grace, the mental grace to be able to do that, it allows you, I think, to be a better chief um, or chef uh, for your own clients and clientele. Um, so anyway, that said, that's a big windup. That said, it, you know, I wanted to develop a product that was minimally processed, so still whole vegetables. So I essentially peel and seed tomatoes, uh, cure them, and then cook them um, so that uh, the flavor comes out. And that's basically it. Then they're marinated and uh, packaged and shipped, and you slice it on a bias, um, and you taste a little bit of soy and sugar and sesame oil. But what you don't get is that overt acidic uh, tomato flavor, and you get a nice toothsome chew, uh, very reminiscent of raw tuna. And so I do the same process with eggplants and um, uh, carrots and uh, red peppers and yeah, all that stuff. And then, but you're not making like you couldn't do a, a tuna steak, for instance, because of just the natural way shape of the the vegetables. But yeah, so you could sushi cut because so, it's an inch wide and two inches exactly. long or whatever. It's a thin slice and things of that nature. So, you know, look, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Um, uh, manufacturing, you want to blend it, extrude it, set it, and forget it, right? Um, uh, so that's that's that that in requires automation, and which it's expensive on the front end, um, but it saves you on labor. Sure. Um, uh, where the industry has gone, they appreciate the fact that we haven't done that. Um, but in order to uh, do more and meet the needs of the stakes of the world, um, we will end up doing that at some point here in the next year. Just as a case in point though, we just had um, St. Patrick's Day. I'll have you know, I yeah. corned, I corned uh, roasted beets, put them on rye bread with uh, cabbage and Thousand Island dressing. Uh, it was it was every bit as good as uh, uh, corned beef. So the beets were delicious. And let me ask this question. Are you a vegetarian or a vegan? So I'm a reducitarian. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I developed um, uh, larynx cancer back in 2010. Um, and it was really a quandary. It's like, you know, it, I didn't understand why the, the doctors said I didn't fit any of the profiles for this. It was an act of God. Um, so that really was kind of the uh, fire that started me into looking at um, how our food is raised and treated and uh, really looking at food as medicine or poison. So, you know, my mother-in-law, you know, oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, please. No, no, keep going, keep going. Oh, so, I was just gonna say my mother-in-law had really bad triple negative cancer a couple years ago and she beat it. But ever since then, she's also been looking at food as well, trying to figure out like, was it too much processed food or, you know, something right. that might right. have contributed to that. 
Well, and here we are. Here I am as a certified master chef, and people are looking to me as this kind of litmus test of quality, right? And running the best restaurant in New Orleans, and you know, how do, how do you how do you you know the the quality must be there, right? And it you know at the time you had um, uh, uh, Deepwater Horizon leaking into the Gulf Coast. Um, You've got, sure. I've got fish guys trying to sell me uh, some beautiful fish that came out of the mouth of the Mississippi River. I was like, well, turns out the mouth of the Mississippi River is highly polluted. Um, yeah. um, and so once you start peeling back the layers of the onion, um, you realize that um, it's, a, it's not an easy task. And, um, and then when you really start to look at um, you know, fresh air, fresh water, good clean land, meat without antibiotics, growth hormones, uh, sustainable fish. Is, um, you know, it it the Rubik's cube gets even more complex. And so, I guess um, you've asked me what I've been up to. One of the new endeavors I've taken on is trying to simplify um, not just the hows but the whys. Of, of changing our diet and why that's important and to what end. And um, just kind of bring about some positive uh, resolution because so many people just put their hands up in the air and say, oh, I give up, just give me whatever. I'm just gonna go about my business and turn a blind eye uh, to everything else. Yeah, that's really cool. So I guess that leads into our next question, which is what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Which might've been what you just told me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it gets actually bigger than that. So um, I've got a, um, I just did a talk for the UN. Uh, you can see it uh, on Blue Dot uh, International and that's blue.intl.com. Um, and it's called the Global 12 Billion Mission. And it really uh, tries to say, hey, look, um, as a certified master chef, you know, the pendulum is swinging back to the way things used to be, uh, where the only the very wealthy uh, can't afford to eat the way, you know, we've been eating or the way I trained to be a chef. And um, we have other real issues out there, like, like that we need to start looking at our nat natural resources as national treasures, as we start to add more population to our country and other parts of the world, you know, water's going to become, fresh water's going to become more precious. Uh, farmland and what we grow on it, people are going to, we're going to start based on the dollar figure and the uh, ratio of 16 pounds of grain to make one pound of meat. Is it more cost effective to use that grain to feed people? or to feed animals. And as soon as the people, as soon as we start to feed more people with that grain, the price of that meat's gonna go through the roof. So, um, you know, natural resources as national treasures. And then, you know, kind of like the moral responsibilities we have uh, to um, produce um, healthy food that's affordable so that we can begin to address and end world hunger. And uh, um, so that's that's my that's my uh, flag in the ground for uh, the next eighty years. You know, in eighty years, we'll have uh, about twelve billion people on the planet. 
since I've been alive, the world's population has doubled to uh, about seven and a half billion people. Um, in the next, um, let's see, 10 years, uh, we'll go from seven and a half billion to nine billion people on the planet. And, you know, we, and, and that's just a population thing, not to mention all of the lifestyle issues that are out there, cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular, um, 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 obesity, depression, yada, yada, yada. And these are all diseases that are directly related to diet. So not, not only do we have more people, but we have more people wanting to live healthier lives as well. So there's a lot of, lot of forces out there changing the way we eat currently. Yeah, I mean, the obesity thing and like the diabetes thing, it is it is nuts. We live in Colorado, which is like one of the healthiest states per capita. But then yeah. like, you know, I was just on, I was just down uh, in Mexico. Oh and, yeah, number uh, one in the world. You know, you can, at, at an all-inclusive resort where you're just like, uh, which I mean like, um, which I, the one we went to was really nice because they actually had a lot of restaurants with like, you know, portion controlled plates. Which makes right. like it actually was like nice that you didn't walk out of every meal going, oh my gosh, why can't I stop? <laughs> you know, so that, that ended up working out. Yeah, for sure, uh, for sure. So, well, an interesting well, fact there is like what you know, I, I like to reference history uh, as you're a buff of, um, you know, and you look at these older cultures and. Uh, Latin American is one, or pre-Columbian uh, cuisine was extremely healthy. Um, uh, now it's one of the most unhealthiest since the addition of pork and other European ingredients. But uh, that Southern Indian cuisine, you know, has supported culture for 10,000 years of millions of people in an area that there wasn't enough animal protein to sustain them. And they, they lived off plants. And Chinese culture is... Uh, uh, representative of that too. And so I like to find periods of time that we can use as examples of where we're going to in the future. Well, and I mean, obviously, you know, <clears throat> and probably our big, well, why most of the world hates, one of the reasons why people hate America is we have perfected processed food and, yeah. and, uh, and fast food and we crush it and what do you, what, whatever you want to say, it's delicious. It's you delicious. Can put a Cheeto up next to any plant, and I'll tell you, a Cheeto is going to win. Like, <laughs> I don't care because it just fires on the whole the world. Yeah, and you're right, but it's, it's perfect but here because but, but but this whole math, this whole industrialized uh, production, again, is our greatest strength that got us through World War II. But now it's arguably yeah. one of our greatest weaknesses because it's not uh, feeding us healthful food. And um, um, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the energy landscape of the 1970s, where it was all like coal and gas. And you fast forward 50 years, you still have coal and gas, but it's uh, wind, solar, um, uh, electric, uh, bio. Uh, and so it, it, the food landscape will begin to evolve and has begun to evolve very similar to that. Well, and I mean, too, if you think about it, like there are so many more QSRs, for instance, that are out there now, modern market out of 
Colorado uh-huh. is one. Uh, actually, I'm going to name two Colorado chains, Modern Market and um, oh, Tokyo Joe's. They're in yeah. Arizona and Colorado, but they, they, you know, Modern Market is a QSR, but they're using, you know, all uh, organic ingredients and, um, or, or a large portion of organic ingredients. I won't say all. And then uh, yeah. Tokyo Joe's is, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, there's a lot, like, I get the all veggie bowl, you know what I mean? Right. With uh, using some steak or something on top. But the point is, is like you are getting, even in the fast food space, you are getting, um, you're getting some amount uh, of food that's, right. that's healthier, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's not all just bad stuff. And I'll be honest, I was dealing with some Taco Bell guys one time and uh, we were out touring Taco Bells and the guy's like, you know, one, you can say what you want to say about Taco Bell, but a taco is 140 calories and like, it's perfectly portion controlled. Yep. And, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm just saying like, there's a lot of other fast foods that are way worse than this per se. And we do a really good job of, you know, absolutely. There's a, you can make an argument of other yeah. parts, but you know, Hey, um, and a Chipotle burrito where you would say, oh, Chipotle, take a Chipotle burrito. You load oh, that thing awesome. up, it's a thousand calories, you know, it's oh, wow. day. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's probably not what you want to be eating every every day. <clears throat> no, but, no, no, no. Uh, Unless you're trying to get big. But um, but no, the world is changing and, and you're bringing up some great examples uh, there, you know, uh, beans and rice, uh, quinoa, uh, amaranth, um, you know, roasted veggies, high veggie content, um, are how we evolved, right? We didn't, we didn't start out, we didn't, we didn't start out uh, as hunters and gatherers, you know, uh, throwing a rock up against an animal every day. It, you know, it might have been a once a week or twice a week occurrence, but in the meantime, we ate veggies. So having some more veggies in your diet is is great. Um, my thing is, is just being able to get quality stuff and being able to afford it i don't think we're all going to be able to afford you know uh grass-fed beef and you know um no hormone chicken um um eventually actually i think i think the uh, uh grocery store of the future will have the expensive stuff the real stuff at the top of the pyramid maybe in the middle and this is a kind of exciting as maybe the lab grown stuff or the blended meats with veggies but at the bottom of the period pyramid will be uh plant-based which we likely the healthiest and most affordable sure so it's funny i two two different points one i eat a ton of kale now but i remember like in the 90s when i was running buffets we would always put (laughs) kale around all the stuff in the salad you know in the ice bin so you would cover the ice the crushed ice with kale leaves to like make it look you know more presentable around like the bowls of whatever it was on that salad bar number two and have you have you ever seen the movie Soylent Green, which is like yes, a 70s yes, yeah, apocalyptic? Yeah. yeah. So obviously you're eating people, but um, the funny thing Spoiler is, is that, like, the lady goes to like the grocery store and there's like a steak, but she's like rich and she can afford like an actual steak, you right. know? Right. But, uh, yeah. It's, okay. it's a look. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, good, good times. Good movies. <laughs> 
what is one thing, this is question number three, what is one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? And if you've already touched on it with sustainability, then we can move on. But just uh, no, one thing that's uh, keeping you up at night. No. Um, right now it's inflation. I mean, food is food is just going through the roof over the last six months. Um, you know, the price of uh, any number of proteins, um, you know, they were expensive six months ago. Shoot, they're crazy expensive now. Um, I mean, soy sauce is up 40% from where it was six months ago. You know, I buy 40,000 pounds at a time. Um, uh, Wasabi's out. Uh -huh. um, you know, I mean, uh, people, you hear in the news that inflation, they're worried about inflation. I, it, you know, it's here. And um, um, it's... And it's uh, uh, I got an expensive, just a, sh a shipping container, um, a freezer uh, shipping container um, over to China. Uh, it used to cost $5,000 uh, to go one way. Now that same trip is costing upwards of almost $10,000. It's almost doubled in the last six months. So, yeah, the world, is, world has changed quietly while COVID was going on. I mean, I think uh, retail grocery stores went up uh, 12, 14% um, during COVID. And um, um, and it's really driven uh, production and supply and demand is, is rearing its ugly head. So that's what keeps me up at night, trying to make things, trying to make good food at an affordable price. And it is um, uh, getting more and more difficult. Wow. Um, I have nothing to add to that. Wow. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good it's hosting. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's where volume, you know, look, these, the large retailers or wholesalers that can uh, make profit on volume is... Um, likely where the greatest profit will be made um, um, and also on the other side of that coin i think americans are gonna join you know uh, more of the rest of the world uh, in spending more of their dollar on food than ever before um, uh, we've been somewhat insulated and not having to pay uh, high prices but uh, um, food's Food's going to get more expensive here for sure. Um, um, and yeah, uh, it is, uh, you've got to trust that a lot of people are out there trying to make uh, a profit in capitalism, but, um, you know, they're also trying to uh, make, make, make affordable food too. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the creep, the inflation price creep is happening. And, uh, um, if you, and if you haven't noticed it yet, it, it likely you will in the near future. <clears throat> wow. I, yeah. I actually have a question that you'll probably be able to answer for me. And this is yeah. off inflation for a second, but it has to do with ingredients and food manufacturing. So I have a neighbor and she can't eat pasta in the U.S. Like she has celiac, 
She'll mm-hmm. get super sick. But then they went to Italy and she ate pasta and she was fine. Yeah. And I don't think she ordered anything differently. It was just different grain. Can you talk yeah. about that for a second? Just Absolutely. because I'm curious about it. Absolutely. Uh, well, one thing, America's food culture really doesn't extend beyond um, uh, the Industrial Revolution. So we take large troughs of land and we plant a lot of food. We see what works our grain, see what works the best. We tweak it a little bit and we run with it. And then we tweak it a little bit more and tweak a little bit more. And along with every tweak, we get a little further away from the original. On the European side, their food culture goes back to the Romans, right? I mean, you know, a couple thousand years, if not more. And their identity is tied to that culture to that awareness of food that has been generational for them. And so in many instances, you see sure. that in their in their laws, like they actually legislate, this product cannot be called Parmesan if it is made any other way than this. And so um, I would expect that she's probably, uh, in when she's in Italy, dealing with a, a wheat varietal um, that is tougher, stronger, uh, maybe has less breaks in the DNA, um, maybe an older form of wheat um, uh, that is more prolific to the area um, and is probably easier for her system just to kind of treat as fiber and pass through. Yeah, interesting. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, remember because that was a big problem a couple of years ago with the Italian mob. It was that they were getting into all this like fake olive oil that wasn't like <laughs> real, and they were shipping it out. Yeah, like and they were saying it was Italian olive oil, but it wasn't like meeting the actual Italian standard for olive oil. Right, so, right. All of those EOCs yeah. and AOCs. Yeah, uh, yeah they're all all these designations. I, I almost legislated. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said I was almost legislating for more government intervention, which I generally don't do. <laughs> right here in the states, but that's but but you're yeah. right; they do. They care, and they say this is the kind of wheat you got to have. Exactly, exactly, and and uh, um, you know, uh, better flour makes better bread. Anyway, um, I think I, I think it's garbage in, garbage out. Exactly, or quality in, quality out. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately you get what you pay for, and um, 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 you know, it, and it's just not a. It's it's uh, yeah, yeah. You said it. You said it best. <clears throat> well, and you know, it's interesting because then I worked at Quiznos, um, so I went to Quiznos in like oh eight oh nine, right? Right. They uh-huh. had just crested to their highest point, and then they were on their way down. And I got there like right at the tippy top when it was coming down. I was there for maybe 18 months. But I remember talking to the guys that did the food procurement, right? Like, because at one Uh point, Quiznos was like the biggest consumer of prime rib in the country. Wow. Um, Because they, we had a lot of prime rib sandwiches and then we do big, huge prime rib sub specials all the time, whatever. But I remember talking to the people in the supply chain and, you know, the interesting thing about, 
kind of what you were just talking about too, with like, uh, you know, keeping ingredients and making good food as a lot of these guys would come to us, like the manufacturers and they would make, you know, they make a turkey loaf, right? Because obviously a turkey breast is not what you see generally. I mean, you all had turkey right. on Thanksgiving. It's right. not what you see like at the store when right. you go to get lunch meat. And that's right. a compressed loaf of, of turkey breast meat. But, you know, these guys would come in and they'd be like, we've created this turkey breast that has, you know, 4% more gelatin buttholes and beaks, whatever they think, <laughs> you know? Like to like fill it out a little, probably mostly gelatin and water, but you know, fat, yeah, fat, yeah. gelatin and water. Yeah. And uh and we can save you, you know, so we can sell you a 12 pound or a 15 pound turkey breast right. that has, you know, whatever X percentage less turkey breast in there, but still weighs the same, still tastes the same. Your customers won't know it. Right. And uh and and you know, it's very tempting. And that cost uh, savings. If it tastes the same and your customers right. won't know it, yeah, four cents a pound when you have a 15 pound item is now whatever that ends up being, 60 cents per thing. Right. But you do that times 5,000 restaurants who are yeah. doing, you know, yeah. And all of a sudden it's real money and yep. it's very tempting. And I did, and I noticed this during the 2008 downturn where there were certain restaurants that I start, would go to that I had gone to before. That yeah. every time I left there, my stomach hurt. Yeah. And and I think it was because, you know, it's okay if you just do that for turkey, right? Or it's right. your highest priced ingredient, like right, you know, whatever. Like uh like in subs, pepperoni and salami and all that, those are your best, cheapest subs. Your Italian subs are your cheapest because uh all that meat is shelf stable. So you know, you don't have to worry Got about it. the you, you save something cost. on the uh, yeah. the uh you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, I'm with you 100. And so you you do one ingredient, yeah. Yeah, you get, and then all of a sudden, you, but you optimize every ingredient in a sandwich, and all of a sudden they just added 15 grams or you know whatever a quart more fat to whatever you just ate, and right. then you all of a sudden you feel sick, you know exactly exactly like that, and 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 all in all in the all in the guise of um, being able to meet a price point. Um, that the consumer's happy with and that the uh, uh, franchise uh, or uh, the franchisee is happy with, right? Uh, everybody's, it's a margin-based yep. uh, business um, and it's based on pennies. And, um, um, yeah. um, but, but back to that point, you know, the big guys at the Quiznos of the world, you know, they're able to make that that margin work because their volume is so big. The question becomes, what about the the small to medium size operators that don't have the same volume? You know, they get, I'm worried that they just kind of get pinched in the middle, um, just paying higher prices. So anyway, there's that as well. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. They absolutely do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, and, volume is everything. I mean, look at like uh, Tillman Frittata buying up all these chains, you know, that were doing okay, but all he's really trying to do is get all of those brands onto one order guide. Right. And 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 essentially, in my mind, he's destroyed the unique taste of some of those steaks, like, you know, the Roos Chris steak and the Del Frisco steak and everything. But mm -hmm. he's looking at it from the perspective of his entire organization. If he brings on another hundred million pounds of meat a year 
then when he exactly. goes to the Cattlemen's Association or exactly. you know, he can go, hey, yeah. look, I'm buying over a billion pounds now. Right. I need another I, five cents off. Exactly. Exactly. And that just saves a ton of money. <clears throat> and here's the other thing that yeah. came to mind while we were talking is that, um, you know, we're talking about these lifestyle diseases and about eating healthier or not feeling good when you go after you've eaten something. Um, you know, look, it's part of government. And then you were like uh, about legislation. You know, it's government's responsibility to protect its population. And not just from, you know, wars and what have you, but also health-wise. You know, if we have an unhealthy population, the drain on our economy and our government is huge. And so, you know, being an advocate for healthy eating is actually good, good social consciousness uh, to, to, to have, you know, uh, a plan where, you know, we have a great social contract with, with the United States of America that, you know, we right we have a healthier uh, society and, a, and consequently a stronger society. Yeah, it is that. I mean, that's a whole. Yeah, what is the thing. government's role? I, yeah, I yeah. read a crazy book about the rise of food regulations and food sanitation, and they talked about like uh, what's the purple milk? Oh man, like from the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> I mean, if this book. I mean, these, these, they would feed the cows the uh, the leftover from the malting of the barley and like making alcohol and it took them like a week to get used to it. And then they were like addicted to it and they made purple milk and like the filth of the, like how many kids were dying in New York City because, oh, man. you know, they had like all the, like all, I mean, it is just, it was all about like, uh, it, it will, it'll, it's a hard yeah. read if you're not you're horror stories, right? horror <laughs> stories. Oh, you know yeah, and that's nightmare. Where, and that's where history comes in I it kind of that. offers up perspective you know it's it's you know did we did we grow up eating and drinking milk and cheese every day of our lives or uh no you know we there was a cow that got pregnant twice in 10 years and uh, and when it got pregnant, you had some milk or you preserved the milk into cheese and had some variety in your diet. And, uh, um, you know, it's only been in this short period of time that mankind has been able to eat the way it does now. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of shows in some of these uh, uh, lifestyle diseases we're experiencing. Well, they were talking about, too, it was like getting... Uh was something about there was a huge change when they were trying to make like skim milks and stuff and then they had all this extra fat so then that went to the cheese you know right. what i mean and so then we yeah. had this explosion in the cheese world because yeah. they it was all this leftover because you know the crazy thing about food manufacturing and like it is how they utilize like, I mean, every, I mean, there is no waste in food there manufacturing. There isn't. You know what I mean? Can't like there, yeah. it always, whatever ends up goes back, it goes out the door like at um, Coors. They, you know, they, they bottle up all the CO2 that comes out of like 
some of these bats and then they go sell that off and you know they sell the grain <laughs> for cattle feed and yeah. you know it's just nuts yeah yeah what they end up doing yeah 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 i think it was this book yeah, it's Outbreak cool. is the name of the book, by the way. Nice. An introduction okay. to the food safety system. Outbreak, foodborne illness, and the struggle for food safety. And wow. uh, it, it's a nice break of how they had big modern outbreaks that they missed. Uh -huh. That hurt a lot of people. But then they also go back into history, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. the FDA and having inspectors looking at the stuff. It, it's a really interesting book. Sounds interesting. Um, Sounds like cool. a must read. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Oh, the industry. Uh, ooh, doo -doo. Um, yeah, so what's interesting is I know that Cargill knows exactly how many cows they need to uh, raise um, to be ready uh, for 2030. Right, and they know how much grain they're going to need and how much water they're going to need. You know, I, I just I think we just probably need more awareness um, in general about the challenges that are facing the food industry, and to have some of the big boys. You can see the big boys um, pivoting, right? When Tyson starts investing in plant based, when Cargill starts in investing in plant-based, uh, when Hormel starts investing in plant-based, those are, those are uh, barometers, indicators that, you know, that there's change afoot, right? And um, sure. um, better, better minds than mine are saying, uh, we don't want to get left behind. And so um, I wish there was um, more uh, practical uh, conversation about the future of food and, and what's causing some of these changes uh, to a specific end. I mean, you know, we talk about healthy food and this change of food being more um, expensive in a way. And I worry about the people, you know, the working moms that, you know, are struggling uh, to not feed their kids 10 chicken nuggets for a dollar, you know. Um, when broccoli costs sure. more than that. Absolutely. One of my friend's dads is a food, is a chef, um, but he's also, he's big on, um, he works at like very high levels in fast food and big chains turning, like getting their frozen lines out and whatnot. And he's mm -hmm. been working on getting, you know, McDonald's to a uh, all organic, not frozen posture. You know, yeah, and he, this yeah. is a multi-year project for those guys. Yeah, fresh to get all of the sort of process ingredients out. Yep. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're at question number five, Chef. Uh -oh. Wow. Uh, give us a war story, man. Make it and make it harsh. <laughs> oh, I, I liked. I like the ones where you're just like, "Oh no, good God, how did that happen?" <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, it's just food, and it's not. Uh, brain surgery right um you know yeah. oh i mean i've got several of them i i could i can laugh about i did I had a catering party on a i was responsible for on a freaking battleship of all places and uh you know it was a cocktail party uh you know a little award ceremony kind of thing you know kind of polite society 
those people showed up ready for dinner. And I'll never forget running out of food, you know, in the first hour. I just couldn't believe how fast they just tore through all the food. And uh, I got my I got my hide singed on that one. You know, but you haven't but you have, but going back to the dishwasher, you haven't lived as a dishwasher until you've drained the fryer and accidentally spilled the oil uh out on the floor and then have to go and clean it back up. I mean, it only takes one time to do that. Um I don't know. I mean, I've watched chefs back in the day throw sheet pans and hit the hit the stainless steel refrigerator doors and leave dents and cut the cut the uh, printer wires and the probably the greatest one I ever saw like that is when this lady chef she was Italian she just had it fed up she pulled all the tickets down on a busy night light all lined up she took them all one put them in a stack grabbed them with a pair of tongs and burned them (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh she burned the stack could you imagine that (laughs) i know and and the the calamity that ensued after that it was hilarious so anyway it's a fun business you know i've always said the uh, go ahead go ahead Oh, no, go, go, go. Sorry. No. Uh, I was going to say, you know, this Please this, this, this business is um, um, the greatest for developing um, strong, authentic relationships. Um, um, you know, you're just so in the uh, in the mix with people and, and uh, your dependency on them is so amazing and um, it's it's really like a second family, and I don't know that you get that in any other uh, profession quite so much. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like how many times that you get done at eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock, and then everybody goes to the same bar and has drinks. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It, that, yeah. You're right. Like I don't think that nurses do that, or you know, no. You know what I mean? No. Like there's yeah, right. It's just such a but that's also part of the hours that we work yeah, because we do agreed. get done at you know midnight and we're like, well, you're not going to call anyone else to hang out with. So you might as well <laughs> go out with your, your exactly. crew and go get some drinks and over tip. So, exactly. Exactly. Well, chef. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Please send me the link. We'll get those links to your speech at the UN and we'll put ocean hunger up there. And if there's uh, any other, Links you want to get to me, we'll put them on the show notes for the show. Okay. And uh, it was just a real pleasure hanging out with you and talking to you today. And uh, thanks. And then Tom. once again to all my listeners here on the Order Up podcast. Uh, you know, thanks guys for listening, and we're going to keep bringing you great interviews with uh, great guests like the chef here today. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care, chef. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. You are welcome, and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye, guys.